Good morning or evening, everybody. This is Kirk Henderson with Mavs Moneyball. This is the 12th episode of Kirk Your Enthusiasm. I have somehow done this now for three whole months without missing a week. I am very proud of myself. Tonight, I bring on uh, what is sure to be a fan favorite. A, I first met him online like six years ago. Uh, he, You all should know him as former uh, staff writer and editor with Mavs Moneyball, Andrew Tobolowski. How are you doing today, buddy? I am doing great. Thanks for asking. That was a great intro. Well, you know, the more I do these, I used to I used to have like wine and like half a bottle of wine before I did a pod because I was nervous. And now right. it's just like, oh, I'm going to talk to my friends about stuff that I would <laughs> instead of talking to them about, I'd be like typing over Twitter. And it's just, you know, it's the same deal. It's the same right. deal. So we're the recording this. When are we recording this? We're recording this Thursday night. We have precisely one Maverick game uh, under our belts at this point. I uh, I know you uh, uh, didn't watch any preseason, which was the correct choice. Uh, I watched all of preseason, so so let's you know before we dive into any other stuff, like let's just let's just talk about the game a little bit. What did you what did you think about the first uh, Mavericks game of the season? You know, uh, there's a lot there's a lot to like there. Uh, you know, nobody thinks the Mavs are necessarily going to be great this season, but uh, beating anybody means you're better than than they are uh, for that night, at least. So promising start in that respect. But obviously, Luca was incredible. Chris F. looked good. Uh, some concerns whether any other person on the team is capable of scoring. <laughs> but, uh, you know, as a longtime Mavs fan, was they win by eight or something like that, which is like mm-hmm. something they've done. You know, usually they win by four when they do win. But even that was nice. <laughs> It was, and I'm going to throw a stat at you that I think you're going to, you're going to laugh at and yet wholly believe if the Mavericks win tomorrow night, it will be the first time since the 2004, five season that they've started the year two and oh, that's amazing. And I do believe it. (laughs) It's like, and and, you know, we have so much fun watching this team, but it's like, no matter who is on the team, the same things tend to happen. Like that was just the most Mavericks fourth quarter I've experienced in some time where you're feeling so good about the game. And then in like a five minute stretch things somehow just, just go, you know, fall apart. And it, it yeah. just, it felt cla- like I was yelling at the TV cause I didn't have to write. It was, right. it's just a great feeling like being that angry about something that stupid. It was, I was, I was right. really glad to be back. Right, and you know, it's uh, even when the match is really good, and I think now after the last eight years or so, we, we finally have the context to appreciate how good they were for so long. They no game was ever safely won. Uh, <laughs> at any the year they won the championship, they were great. They won so many games that it never seemed like it was impossible for the other team to come back, and they're keeping that tradition alive. It's nice. It's nice. Well, so you know the the uh, to just continue to think about the game a little bit that starting lineup was the most carlisle thing i've experienced in a long time so there's this running off-season story matt moore of of the action network wrote about it about how the league just for gambling related purposes forced coaches to move up their starting lineup releases and most coaches and execs fought it tooth and nail so the initial lineup uh, was not the lineup that, that they told us the day before was not the lineup that started. Of course they changed that. And of course they picked uh, 
uh, Courtney Lee, a guy who barely played in preseason and looks to be looks to be just toast. It was it was so funny to me because I just I'm so used to to like laughing at ridiculous things that the Mavericks do, you know, for for very like inside baseball reasons. But starting Courtney Lee might have been the like least likely thing for me to predict last night. I really got a kick out of it. Yeah, I mean it's it's weird in like two directions. Like first of all, they they could have played Courtney Lee at any point last season. There was you know they weren't trying to win games. They could have done that. They didn't do it. Uh, so the the fact that they did that this time is uh, really surprising. But what I find interesting about it is Courtney Lee was does look completely toast, but he was not bad two years ago. I mean, two years ago he was a pretty good player that they'd be lucky to have that kind of defense and three point shooting. And instead, you know, I find it really interesting over the offseason, a lot of people are talking about Tim Hardaway Jr., never been a good player, still not a good player. And, you know, people would say things like, what if he was as good as he could possibly <laughs> ever be and ever has been in the past? Then the match would really be good. And nobody was talking about Courtney Lee, who, you know, was actually a decent player as recently as two years ago. It might all be in the past now, but... Um, there was you know, a track it was record. Him- it, was not, it was not wishing for something to be so, you know? There was yeah. at least something there. Right, and not too long ago. But uh, they never treated him like someone they were going to play. So, you know, when they did that, that was a real surprise, of course. Well, so, you know, understanding you've it's only been a single game, I watched all the preseason and I actually kind of have a take on just about everybody on the roster. Giving limited minutes, mm-hmm. was there anybody, you know, past, you know, Luca and Porzingis that you were particularly, you know, pleased with? And then was there anybody mm-hmm. who, you know, you're already done with after like 20 minutes of game action? Right. So there's been a lot of noise about how good Brunson might be this year. Um, didn't necessarily see that, that last game, mm-hmm. but uh, I wouldn't be surprised. You know, it, the Mavs, uh, they've been horrible drafters forever, but if they're going to be horrible drafters, you know, you could always do worse than picking the best player on a college team that did very well and hoping for the best. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Brunson really knows how to play. And I think with uh, Brea coming back from injury, Brea being 34, uh, my twin brother, Mark, who you know, pointed out to me the other day that J.D. Brea is now the only Maverick who is older than we are. <laughs> That's true. Given what was a few years ago. Uh, I, expect, I expect him to have a lot of playing time. And uh, I think, you know, he could turn into a real... I don't know, 15 points a game, backup point guard type guy. We'll see what they do with him. I was concerned about some other guys, you know, because I'm concerned with guys like Dylan Wright, mm-hmm. uh, Maxi Klaber, Dorian Finney-Smith. It's all that, like, they're, they are cerebral players who are sort of, you know, surprises. They're, they're better than people think they are. But they are all have the potential to be really awful at offense, which they were. <laughs> they and were. I, you know, I'm looking at the box score right now. We got Claver 0 of 1 in 24 minutes. Dylan Wright 1 of 2 in 21 minutes. Dorian Finney Smith 1 of 4 in 32 minutes. So I, I would say that if you went into the game worried about that kind of thing, you did not come away comforted. So yeah, let's. Uh, so so those are kind of you know just just brief takeaways. So you know this is really and and really why I've been thinking about how to bring you on and when because you know you have been the guy who who wrote you know the most you know dirk kind of reflective pieces going back three or four years and i think you were kind of the most straightforward guy about the fact that 
you know, when Dirk retired, it was going to change your relationship to the Mavericks in a way that is really fundamental. So now that you've, you know, he's been gone for a few months and now you're watching basketball again, what's like, what's changed for you as you're watching hoops? You know, that's really interesting. I mean, I, one thing I often say is that when the Mavericks won the championship, they really changed watching basketball for me because, Mm -hmm. uh, it, you know, I've been a Mavericks fan since I was uh, little and you know, I'm 34 now. And it just, um, I, that was the thing I wanted most to happen in any sports that I watched was the Mavericks to win a championship. Uh, I wanted Dirk to have a great playoffs and finals uh, so people could finally see how great he was. I think it was almost too late for it to happen, to have it happen after 2006, where I felt like they should have won, they should have beat the Heat. And they ended up beating this like mutants, triple-headed monster Heat team uh, in this kind of rematch five years later. And and just knowing that no sports event could possibly make me that happy for the rest of my life, uh, I stopped caring about sports as much after that. But I wanted to watch Dirk, and I wanted to see what he could do for the the rest of the time that we had him. And it turned out to be a long time. It really so, did. <laughs> yeah. So in a way, it was like, you know, this is the only way that I could really get back into basketball was that uh, I kept watching. But, you know, that was the thing that I was watching for. Now I can sort of look around the league and, you know, right now I got Bucks and and the Rockets on the TV and they got, you know, Middleton and Giannis and Harden and Westbrook. And there's a lot of great stuff happening in the league. I just saw Wes Matthews, who hilariously is making like $2.7 million this year after the Mavs. Gave him what, like sixteen million a year for no reason. Um, so yeah, I think you know it's sad, but uh, it lets me see the other storylines that other people have been paying attention to for the last few years. While I've really been just trying to get as much out of Dirk's career as I could. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I, I, I kind of threw myself into the rebuild mode just because I, I I started to really like draft analysis. And so mm-hmm. when I stumbled, you know, and I really did, it was like stumbling across uh, Luka Doncic, you know, like three plus years ago, which is nothing compared to a lot of the draft Knicks out there. It was just really exciting to be rooting for, you know, something absolutely preposterous. And then that it actually happened. And then that he ended up being way better than even I could have yeah. assumed really kind of papered over a little bit of the Dirk, uh, you know, retirement tour. Cause I just, I wasn't right. ready to process it. And I, I still don't know if I really am. Uh, I, I miss watching him play, but he had given up so much of himself and really, you know, the, it's so strange to me that the ankles, which, you know, we thought were going to end his career prematurely ended up being, you know, the reason he had to step away for real. Uh, yeah. But I, I just, I'm, I I miss him, but the way that they the Mavericks have absolutely locked into uh, you know fast forwarding their rebuild has made this at least very you know uh, something to look forward to because right. they're they're watchable and we really only had one year of truly unwatchable basketball. Yeah, um, right. I, I think you know you started covering when did you start writing with Mavs Moneyball? That's a good question. I um. I was it after it was right championship after, or before? I think it was right after the championship. Okay, so the really uh, frustrating Lamar Odom year. 
Yeah, I think uh, I had this really awful job with one of these like pay-per-click sites that kept being low. And they actually, um, they fired me and they didn't tell me about it <laughs> uh, during the 2011 finals. It was one of these sites, I don't remember the name of it, but it was like they, they wanted local people. Mm-hmm. So they, they found out that I had moved from Dallas uh, in 2000. I was living somewhere else uh, at the time. And so they hired someone else without telling me about it let me keep writing through the finals as their maps writer. Uh, but they'd stopped directing traffic to my page. And then they, they told me after the season that they had, you know, sort of fired me weeks ago and didn't tell me about it. Uh, and so I was, I was looking around for another job and uh mass money ball had a kind of contest for new writers. Uh, <laughs> I found my way in there. So that, yeah, that tracks, because I think I joined in 2013 when I, like, I, I I got directed to Lisa, and she was just, you know, sure, why not? You can write. And and it's just, it's, uh we wrote, it's it's so funny, you know, we never covered the team directly during any of their glory years. You arguably wrote the most words, you and, and, and Ian <laughs> wrote the most words during some of the worst Maverick seasons. And yeah. that, you know, looking back on it is, is it's a little sad, but the writing, which is still on our site, by the way, the writing is mm-hmm. amazing. The kind of mm-hmm. debates and things we used to get into were so right. funny. And now that the team has, you know, I'm sure they, they say they did this on purpose, but they essentially have, have, you know, failed upwards to, to landing, you know, a pair of generational players. And I'm wondering, you know, for you, you were... How long did how long does it take to pursue your doctoral degree? Because for anybody who doesn't know, Andy is now a a professor at uh, is William and Mary, right? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, where you yeah. teach all sorts of stuff, and so you yeah. were pursuing this degree while yeah. also writing an unbelievable amount <laughs> of basketball. Is is do I do yeah. I basically have that right? That's right. Yeah. So it takes it takes six years. Uh, and I was there from 2009 to 2015, but I mean, it takes between five and nine years, but it took me six years and yeah, it was, um, you know, I, you get your PhD, you spend a lot of time alone. Uh, you have a lot of time with your thoughts and a lot of time with sort of more complicated writing. And it was an outlet for me to just kind of connect with the great audience you have over at Mads Moneyball which in those days was a bit smaller, but just as enthusiastic. And, uh, you know, to, to have that community and to write for that community was, was a lot of fun for me. And, uh, you know, it took a, a load off some of my troubles uh, during that time. But, uh, yeah, no, I wrote lots and lots of stuff in those days. So does that, just because I'm a little curious, because I don't, you know, you and I at, at one point in time, like literally talked every day for like two and a half years. Um, yeah. But I don't think I ever asked you this. Does does the basketball writing did that help you as you were also you know doing doing the you know pursuing your doc your doctoral degree because did it? Yeah, part of I mean, why I do it, I, I do it because it's like oh this is a different part of my brain and I, it's not database stuff. I mean, but I'm not I'm not a very good technical writer. Like you're a very good right. writer. Like and you know this. <laughs> it's part That's of right. your charm. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. So, so one of the things I think a lot of um, a lot of academics struggle with is is finishing things. You know, the, there tends to be long processes. It takes a long time to write something. When you turn something into reviewers, it takes a very long time for them to get back to you about 
excuse me, about the uh, about the subject. And you know, so a lot of people really sort of agonize over what they're writing, and that can be a good thing to do. You should do that. But you know, even well before I worked for Mass Moneyball, I you know worked uh, I was a sports editor of my high school paper. I was a basketball writer for my college paper. Uh, after college, I worked for uh, the Rhode Island Sporting News and the Texas Jewish Post and stuff like that. And I just, you know, built these habits of constantly producing, um, often on deadline. And I think that that is a, a tremendous advantage for an academic to have, uh, since most people without that training are habituated to just really, really agonizing over everything that right before people see it. And in addition to that, the norms of academia are pretty brutal. Um, you can get these reviews from reviewers that are just awful, and you can get reviews for your, you know, books sometimes and things like that. Uh, you know, hopefully that doesn't happen, but it does sometimes happen. And uh, you know, uh, producing constantly, but also the common threats. You know, not everybody likes any of us when we're writing for Mass Moneyball or anything <laughs> else. And they, Isn't say some that stuff. the truth? God so bless combination, our fans. Absolutely. So the combination of the practice of constantly writing, which I still do uh, in my three or four years as a professor now, four years, I think, I'm, you know, I have a book out. I have five or six scholarly articles out, um, but also weathering criticisms are things that, you know, sports writing has really helped with. The, the styles mm-hmm. of writing are not the same, but the those two things are big deals. Do you still and and I, I haven't had a chance to read it yesterday. I saw that you uh, you you put something out with uh, with the, the shocker. I'm gonna have to That's link great. to that in the post. Do you still get much of an itch to sports? Right, because by the time that you were wrapping up with us, you know there was a lot of things going on at once, and it was it it you know we all kind of agreed that it was it was becoming more of a burden than it was fun. Do right. you still get kind of the itch to write? And if so. Do you like do you are you still making the time to sports right or is it just you know are you just kind of taking a little bit of a sabbatical because it sounds like this would be something that would be long term kind of hard for you to give up even right. if it's j- just because you still get these these threads of thought that you want to you know expound right. on. I have some yeah no I, I really haven't done it I I sort of always intended to retire with Dirk so mm. to me you know that last piece that I wrote for Maz Moneyball that was kind of my last piece of sports writing and every now and okay. then someone will. Someone will ask me to do something, and that's what happened with that that shocker sure. piece. That's you different, know, though. It's being able to churn out something because, and it's churn's not the right word, but you know, right. given a prompt is sometimes right. like that's often when I do better because my I'm just kind of constantly dumber now that I I parent a child <laughs> and and lose yeah. sleep. So like prompt Absolutely. writing is a little bit easier for me. So that's interesting, though. So the 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 kind of the impulse has not yet. And, and may not come back just because the, the relationship is, is with, with the sport is, is different. So that's, that's, that's right. actually pretty and, interesting. Yeah. And for me, um, you know, I'm, I'm married now. Um, we don't have kids, but we, we do live in two different places. Uh, right now she lives in North Carolina. I live in Virginia. Um, and I'm teaching and I'm, I'm writing and it's not precisely that I have less time, although that is true, but it's like, I'm trying to, um, open up space in my life where I'm just not doing things. Sure. Uh, so when I was writing, you know, my dissertation and stuff like that, I didn't have 
I just felt sort of chained to the desk. And when I wasn't writing the dissertation, I would write a sports thing. Mm-hmm. And now I'm just kind of trying to, you know, it would be nice to have a hobby. I've been thinking about what a hobby would be like. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I have like car occasionally. But, well, uh, I, I do know our fans actually miss you. I still read a fair number of the comments on our site just because I like mm-hmm. our readers. And, and you will you will still frequently get, you know, uh, man, I wish Andy was here to talk about this sort of thing. So, you know, uh, as as a co-managing editor, I am just laying it on the table that if, if the desire ever hits you to write about something, you are welcome uh, at our site. Um, I'm, I'm always. glad to hear it's nice to hear, yeah. So uh, before before we get out of here, though, I do want to pick your brain about what you know. You're a you're a pretty avid consumer of basketball, even when you're like, oh, I'm not really watching that much. You, yeah. you told me that you're kind of it's on in the background right now. What what yeah. is interesting to you about the league right now to where you're you know willing to kind of give up your or not give up, use your free time watching the game? Yeah, I mean, so this is what I say about basketball. Uh, I would think in the and really it's been about 20 years since I've been sports writing. Uh, sports writing has gotten a lot better. It's gotten a lot more sophisticated. You know, we used to just kind of crack jokes and we didn't really have any special insight. But now you got these people working at these blogs who have these incredible statistical takes and things like that. Yeah. And that, you know, as someone with a, a different and very time-consuming job, I'm, I'm never going to I was never good at math anyway, but I'm never going to be that person. But uh, I was always sort of interested in sports for the same reason I'm interested in my academic work. I'm interested in paradigms. I'm interested in models. I'm interested in how things work. And um, so I am, there's a lot of unsolved questions in the NBA that interest me. Um, really? Okay. People kind of, I mean, they sort of deny it, I think. Um, popular Twitter follows in, in sports they sort of deny that anything has changed but i think it's pretty undeniable that um, team building doesn't work the way that it used to because these days the best players only want to go to teams teams that already are about to win a championship or they want to go um, join one other person on a team that's not very good to make that team a championship team mm-hmm. you know i'm watching these bucks gianna said the other day you know, if the if the Bucks underperform this year, it's going to be harder for the Bucks to keep him. And that's a new. I'm not saying it's a bad attitude, but it's a new attitude where even the young guys think if we're not about to compete to a championship, uh, we're not competing for a championship. I got to go somewhere where we will. And I'm interested in how well that's going to work. And I'm interested in all these tanking projects and how they're going to work. I don't have a moral opinion about tanking. I always felt like, you know, it, it might not work as well as people think because you got to start out uh, so low that you might not be able to build up into a championship team before guys get too expensive, guys get antsy and things break down. Mm-hmm. And, and right now we're in the middle of all that. So it's like I see LeBron and Anthony Davis have teamed up over on the Lakers. But the Lakers suck. I mean, every other every other player in that team is awful, as near as I can tell, except Danny Green, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, and that happens a lot when the superstars team up because of the salaries. And then, on the other hand, you have the Mavericks, who have done an amazing job. They did a pretty poor job for 10 years, but they did an amazing job getting these two young superstars. Nobody else has two guys of that kind of potential that young locked down for that long. But are they going to be able to build a team around them? Um, win a league where 
really good players tend to try to go to where the great players already are. And uh, yeah, I mean, uh, the one thing I know from academic work is that the common assumptions that everybody has die after 10 years or so, and new ones arise. And we all realize that the ideas we thought were bedrock consensus ideas were wrong. And we're on the verge of something in the NBA. Um, either the sort of aggregations of superstar talent are going to turn out to be an effective way to do things, or they're not. Either these ways of, you know, you got to get, people keep talking about the treadmill of mediocrity. I've never believed in the treadmill of mediocrity as a problem, as you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it, to me, just means that you have a lot of decent players who you can trade for other players, like you have assets, and so on and so forth. We're going to see who's right on all that stuff. So I find that really interesting. And I just, I watch to see, you know, are the Lakers going to be good? Are LeBron and Anthony Davis, who are among the top seven best players in the league, enough? Are the Clippers going to be good? Because they almost certainly are, but how good? You know, because are the Warriors, who are now back to their kind of pre-Kevin Durant selves, still good? Or has the league gotten enough better that, uh, you know, even that team, even if Klay Thompson comes back, isn't as good as some of the best teams anymore? And it's, I just think it's very interesting. So I'm looking to see some some revol- resolution to the debates we've all been having over the last three years. And I'm looking to see some paradigm shifts. I'm looking to see what's next in what we think an NBA team should do. Well, geez. Like, see, this is why I think it's, it's, it's terrible that you've left sports writing because that <laughs> – you know, like that is, is there, one of my other guests is somebody who I believe, uh, who you're familiar with, you know, he's Seth Partnow, who just returned to yep. sports writing after working with the Milwaukee Bucks. Yeah. He talked to me about some of the things that he's really interested in watching from a very statistically driven perspective, you know, how, how, you know, things are, you know, just some of the inefficiencies and where things are going to be heading based off of, you know, how the, how the game is actually played. So right. I, I, I wish I could host like you and him at the same time to talk about some <laughs> of these things together, because I really think they, they're, they're two sides of the coin. Um, one of my followers today, gosh, I can't remember who basically he's, he's an older guy. And he said, you know, I just can't get used to this idea in basketball that there aren't good shots anymore for like, right. like certain areas and certain shots are not good. I just can't get used to it. And I said to him, I don't really think that's the argument. What I think is the argument is that they're, We've figured out which players should not be shooting a good shot. The The first thing uh-huh. that came to mind is like, you don't want, you know, Kendrick Perkins taking a three point shot. That's not a good shot. And, and, you know, that's where the Mavericks are so particularly amusing to me because they have like three or four guys who are just terrible at all sorts of shots. And yeah. I don't know <laughs> that comes back to your thought of like, <laughs> Oh, how are they going to score? And they're, they're just, there really are some interesting questions because you know, our favorite player of all time is a guy who in the modern NBA as it's played today would simply not work how he worked for 10 years. Uh, right. I'm sure Dirk would be incredible, but he'd be very different. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, you know, with Dirk, I mean, there were so many different things that happened during his career. He's lucky to have that longevity for one thing, but he was a much like LeBron, I think, a much more explosive and statistically incredible player when he was younger than when he got older. But when he was older, he just started bending time and space to be just an incredible force on the court in ways that um, if somebody had forced him to stop taking 
mid-range jump shots, you know. Uh, he met Mike D'Antoni when he was 20. Who knows what his career has been like. Right, but One right. thing I was thinking about in this vein, you know, so Seth, I mean, Seth is an incredible thinker and so on and so forth. And to me, like a, a diametric opposite of me, I have no brain for stats. I don't know what's going on. I'm just looking at these paradigms. But that's the kind of thing where, you know, we love Monte Ellis at Mass Moneyball. Mm-hmm. You guys love Monte Ellis. <laughs> yeah, we have mixed feelings about Monte Ellis. But one thing I think about a lot is that Rockets Maverick series uh, at the end of that year, uh, Monte's last with Dallas when, when Ronda was there. Because mm-hmm. the Mavs went down 0-2, uh, as you know. But then they benched Ronda. And then they lost the next game 130 to 128. I'm looking at this. I don't have this on the top of my head. But they lost the next game 130 to 128. They won the next game 121 to 109. Mm-hmm. And then they lost the next game 103 to 94. But, you know, those two games in the middle, if they'd won 130 to 128 instead of losing the other way, and they won the next game, they would have been 2-2 two and two with an incredible Rockets team. One yes. of the best Rockets teams there's been. And I don't think anybody would credit that because nobody would have thought that Monte Ellis and Dirk could be the core of such an incredible offense. Yep. You know? And one thing we know around, you know, Mavericks is that, of course, before they got Rondo, that was the highest rated offense of all time or whatever. It was scoring the most points in the offense of all time. Uh, they had Jameer Nelson at point guard. It didn't make any sense. <laughs> but, you know, Monte is exactly the kind of guy that nobody likes right now because he's an inefficient scorer, doesn't take the right shots. And sometimes I think, like, in a few years, we're gonna it's going to turn out that inefficient 20 points a game scorer are actually much more important, again, than we thought they were. I don't know if that's true or not. But I think it's true. Him. I think it's yeah. true. So, like, let's look at a guy on the Clippers like Lou Williams. You know, yeah. the, he was a Laker. He was a Laker three years ago, and I think they, they, they ended up moving on from him or trading him, and I believe the pick that he turned in or that, that, that they got for him turned into uh, Kyle Kuzma. And if you were to ask these yeah. Los Angeles Lakers, who would you rather have, Kyle Kuzma or Lou Williams, the answer is very simple. And Absolutely. it's, 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 you're right. Like I, and I hadn't really thought about that because, you know, the way of the gunner is kind of going away because everybody's playing right. in these really, you know, kind of interesting, uh, not no longer interesting ways. It's just like very high scoring. Um, and, and that's just kind of left out in the cold because there's just nobody who plays like this anymore, which is, a guy, which is why a guy like Lou really stands out. And, and mm-hmm. I think, you know, to, 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 and I always do this just because it's a Mavs podcast. Like part of why it's it's so fun to watch Luca play is Luca really feels like a generational guy who can do all of these things. You right. know, he he gets to the basket with ease. His floater game is incredible. He has a good post up. He can shoot from three, and he you know, and he he just he he's a little bit of everything. And so that's a, he's you know kind of one of these rare players. So we're you know really easy to luck into him. But the rest of the squad is not so uh, diverse, you know, and the the right. the ages of specialization in the NBA, I think long term could work against it, uh, particularly because it doesn't seem like there's there's like another generation of like American forwards who are really, you right. know, amazing at basketball. So it's it's going to be interesting to see where it goes. The par- I see what you're saying by paradigm shifts. That's why I got to bring you on. You're going to have to come back. You know, in in a couple of months when we have a little more Mavs under under our yep. belts, because it's it's these these little questions about both the Mavericks and then kind of the game at large, I think are going to be 
are going to be kind of fun to study. This is this will probably be the most for for an NBA head like a, a, somebody who watches basketball every night. This season will probably be the best season night in night out that we've had in three plus years because I, I the teams are just so diverse. A lot of great players there. A lot of different things. Um, yeah, there's a lot going on. And then it's like the flip side of what we've just been talking about. Guys like Dylan Wright, Maxi Claver, Dorian Finney-Smith, who are, you know, statistician dream. We are finally in a position where we can really appreciate what they do. And I wonder if the math might not be better off with some guy who can just score 20 off the bench inefficiently from mm-hmm. time to time. Yeah, it's a, it's going to be a question worth asking. Well, yeah. I I do. I'm absolutely going to have to have you back on, and maybe we can do one of these a little more. Uh, we'll do one of these with, that's a little less structured because I I do these post game podcasts, and and it's so funny. You know, Josh is like the only one who wants to do them with me. Um, everybody else is like usually too tired, but like something <laughs> I don't know. Something about talking about the games is really cathartic. Like we used to have with our old email chains. So, yep. you know, anytime you have a, a, a thought that you would like to get out, that is not, uh-huh. you know, something you feel like writing about, let me know. And you are absolutely welcome on this podcast at any point. That sounds great. Well, thanks for having me on. It was a pleasure talking to you. And, uh, you know, I meant to say the whole podcast, but as everyone knows, you were the guy who, who really willed, <laughs> Really willed Luka Doncic to the <laughs> uh, with your tweeting over the course of the off season, and obviously that's why we're on a bold new era of Mavericks basketball. So I'll leave that there. But uh, yeah, pleasure talking to you. Yep, yep. All right, guys, this has been Kirk Henderson and Andy Tobolowski. If you don't follow him on Twitter, you're a moron. And I will put all the pertinent information in the links. Uh, this has been the 12th episode of Kirk Your Enthusiasm. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. Have a good weekend.